behind the curtain of Australia's billion-dollar media and entertainment industry. That's entertainment. The personalities. So Lisa has not slept and neither has come. What do we even need producers for? The politics. The Murdoch uh, print media platforms no longer provide anything approaching balance to news reporting. The pressures. I'm not sure that people are aware of the impact it has. Unfiltered, unedited and uncut. Oh, I didn't even realise we were starting. (laughs) Buckle in for a hot take on the week's biggest headlines and insider scoops. He spent 37 years with the record label, but was fired in June. That's Entertainment with Jake and Viv. Starts now. Probably one of the best shows ever. Good to be back after a week off. Viv, uh, you look like you're bleeding there. What's, what's going on? <laughs> I have shown up uh, with my place looking like a little bit of a crime scene, Jake. I have sliced my finger open and have learned that I should not be around incredibly sharp but incredibly effective as it turns out knives. Beware everybody Vivian has a sharp knife. (laughs) Uh, We shouldn't start an episode of a podcast promoting the next one but can I just say we do have a fairly big announcement uh, on next week's podcast do we not? We do and for once we can probably guarantee that we will actually do the episode we'll show up we'll be here and we'll have some uh, exciting exciting news (laughs) so if nothing else the fact that we have something to share means we will do the podcast and get it out on time uh meantime big show coming up today this week on that's entertainment sca expands its listener lineup with mikey and emma australia gets two new hit reality tv franchises and in this week's hot take has ye lost touch with donda 2 release plans There was a lot of speculation, Viv, around uh, what Mikey and Emma might be doing after leaving ARN's The Edge, where they hosted breakfast and been on air together for over a decade. Uh, There was speculation at two as to whether uh, they resigned and left of their own free will or whether they were pushed to leave ahead of a bit of an expected change around what The Edge might be doing uh, this year as it hires some some interesting people to reformat the station from what we understand. Uh, But they have arrived at Southern Cross Osterio, which we did hear rumblings about, uh, and they've revealed that they'll be joining uh, the listener lineup. We are back. Yes, we are. It's Mike E and Emma, and we can finally announce that we're back. But what are we doing? Hosting the brand new show, Mikey and Emma, live on R&B Fridays. Wake up with the hottest hip-hop and R&B tunes. It's R&B Fridays every day. Weekdays from 7am on DAB Radio or on the list. Yeah, I guess we were half right. We said that they were going to join SCA and we thought it might be on the hit network uh, as part of a revamp for that network. Instead, they're joining the listener platform with a live breakfast show. They will really, really be taking on their former employer, The Edge and ARN, with this because they're hosting an R&B Fridays radio show, 24-7 R&B Fridays, one of the hit network's most iconic music and brand platforms. As we speak this morning, uh, ARN have just released their annual report and in that, CEO Kieran Davis flags that this year ARN will be relaunching and accelerating The Edge as a national youth brand distributed on iHeartRadio, Broadcast Radio and DAB+. And he specifically says it's going to take on that underserviced area of youth culture, which is hip-hop and R&B. 
So Mikey and Emma on Listener and then The Edge on radio and iHeartRadio really feel like they're going for the same market there. Do you think, like, uh, do you think sorry, uh, Southern Cross Osterio's Chief Content Officer Dave Cameron might have got wind of those plans and saw this as a way to disrupt it in a way? Because Mikey and Emma, along with The Edge, has a cult following in its market. ARN has been flagging for some time that they're going to revamp and really invest in the edge, it seems like 2022 is going to be the year that they stop talking about it and actually do it. So I suspect that Dave uh, might have gotten wind of that. And what a great pairing, though, for R&B Fridays, which many people do associate with the hit network. And as you say, Mikey and Emma already have a bit of an association with that type of music, with that type of vibe from their time at the edge. It'll just be interesting to see whether the audience bothers to follow them across to listener on what is effectively a live breakfast show on digital or whether they stick with the edge and and whatever sort of talent and lineup they offer up this year. The R&B Fridays brand was, I think, initially at least a bit of a sleeper, but it really gained momentum. And when it did, it moved so quickly. Of course, it started on Fridays on the Hit Network, as you say, and evolved into uh, quite large you know, concert tours, mini festivals, uh, if you will. So it has become incredibly popular. So it definitely makes sense. Uh, I just wonder whether on the DAB network uh, and on Listener what the audience size is and and what sort of money goes into promoting something like that. I mean, we know SCA's put a lot of money behind Listener. It's gained a lot of momentum. Uh, DAB audiences always seem to be uh, sort of left behind in plans, but that's starting to change. And, of course, the the other notable uh, reference here from a Listener perspective is Steve Price. Yeah, I think what you'll find is they'll be inserting ads for R&B Fridays across some of their more successful podcasts. Don't forget they've got a huge audience with podcasts such as Hamish and Andy, uh, Abby Chatfield's podcast, It's a Lot. You'll probably hear about it on her National Nights radio show in the ad breaks. They have a very large audience across all of their platforms to sort of cross-promote and push onto the listener platform, I think the main risk for them will be just audience confusion because R&B Fridays is so iconic but so linked to the day of Friday and the party vibe and the heading into the weekend. I'll be interested to see how that translates at 6 o'clock on a Monday morning when the Friday vibe is very much gone, the party is very much not there and then you've got to have sort of imaging and voice about it being Friday or R&B Fridays, but hey, it's five past 10 on a Tuesday. I think that will be an interesting uh, branding device for them. Every day is Friday with Mikey and Emma. (laughs) The good news is, for Mikey and Emma at least, uh, that the breakfast show will start not at 6 but at 7am and it'll roll through till 10am, which, let's be honest, makes more sense potentially for that audience. That's the same time frame that uh, Steve Price, who you talked about earlier, does his Australia Today program live on the listener platform. I think it does make sense for a digital play. I don't know how many people are going to be getting up uh, at six o'clock and tuning into an R&B Fridays listener breakfast show, starting a bit later, enabling it to go a bit longer, uh, I think just makes more sense uh, for, for that brand and particularly if they're going to be targeting that younger audience. Uh, before we move on and talk about a couple of uh, new reality TV franchises that are getting a, a local spin-off uh, here in Australia, 
some other news in radio this week uh, around uh, ARN announcing that they would take over the regional sales representation of Ace Radio's network, uh, which previously Grant Broadcasters uh, was fulfilling that role. Uh, and as part of that, Christian O'Connell will be syndicated on Ace Radio stations. Yeah, it really solidifies uh, ARN as a regional radio player when previously they were so uh, stuck in the metro markets compared to SCA. They'll be representing all 18 ACE radio stations across regional Victoria and the border towns and Christian O'Connell will be heard on seven of those each afternoon. Again, that will be another way for them to drive regional listeners to the iHeartRadio platform. There'll be references to that throughout the shows, throughout the ad breaks and it comes in addition to the 46 regional stations that ARN got when it did the grant steal. So it, with that, it had 58 stations across 33 markets. Uh, in its annual report that did drop this morning, uh, Chair Hamish McLennan did say that ARN now remains well-placed to establish itself as the leading broadcast radio and digital audio broadcaster in Australia. It's very similar language to what SCA Users, So it does really feel like this is the year that ARN and SCA are going to go to war over who's the mm. biggest, who's the best, who's the most regional, who's the most local, who's the most metro. They're both really, really gearing up and scaling up this year, both in terms of broadcast and digital. Uh, and I think this is just another move in that space by ARN. Up next, Australia gets two new reality hit franchises. An Australian version of Kitchen Nightmares is set to debut later this year on Channel 7 and uh, 7 Plus. It'll be hosted by award-winning chef and author uh, Colin Fasnage. I'm a huge fan of this show. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Gordon Ramsay, who of course hosts the international version. Uh, And an Australian version of Below Deck is getting a spin-off as well. They've just released uh, a first look ahead of its premiere on streaming platform Hey You, which comes on March 18. I'm slightly obsessed with these two shows. How do you think Colin Fastnage will go? Because I just don't see him as aggressive and angry as your mate Gordon Ramsay. How do you think that will translate into the Australian iteration of the show? I don't know if we've seen the real Colin on Australian television from his sort of short appearances on uh, pretty much every cooking show that already exists in the market. Let's order. Okay. Got to go for the stuffed uh, banana peppers. Um, I've got to try that Italian stuffed filet. Okay. How do you yeah. like it done? Medium rare, please. Okay. Um, Carletta. Mm-hmm. It's our signature sauce. And who came up with that idea? Dino. Dino. Mm-hmm. It yeah, came to him in a dream. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> our claim to fame came in a dream from someone who knows nothing about food or how to prepare it. Flipping egg. Okay. <laughs> He did go on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here last year and we always say, Jake, that nobody goes on that show for no reason. They're always looking to ramp up their career or they've got something to launch or they've got something to say or they want a redemption narrative. It feels like in Colin's case he was ramping up his television 
Korea again. In terms of the real Colin, if we saw that in the jungle, he did come across as a very nice guy, very relaxed and and very different from the Gordon Ramsay we got to know in the earlier episodes of his uh, edition Mm -hmm. of Kitchen Nightmares. So I'll I'll just, uh, maybe the nightmares will make, uh, transform Colin into an angrier and, and more aggressive chef, but I guess we'll wait and see. Yeah, we will have to wait and see. I think the format lends itself to great television drama, uh, regardless of Colin's anger levels, purely because the nightmare really is what the small business owners uh, in these restaurants are going through as they struggle to fill the venue and and uh, you know hire decent chefs and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, it, it is a good format. Interesting time to bring it back when the hospitality sector is so under the pump after years of lockdowns and uh, COVID mm-hmm. restrictions. It could be a really positive thing, but it could also uh, encourage people to stay away from these nightmarish venues that can't get their shit together. So hopefully it is a good thing for the hospitality sector, not a net negative uh, casting a spotlight on all the terrible things that they do. The second reality show uh, I've also, I'm a huge fan of, uh, Below Deck is getting a spin-off, like I mentioned, that's coming to Hey You, uh, premiering on March 18. I think they're dropping three episodes as part of that uh, premiere. When a captain asks for something, he wants it. I'm a grown man, brother. Like, I don't need to be here. I don't give a f- who the captain is. It's like a slap in the face. That's your Whoa, we got them high seas. Hi. Sorry, I'm just flashing you my coach right now. This show has a cult following. It's become a huge hit in the US. There are already spin-offs. There's your traditional below deck, your below deck Mediterranean. Uh, There's a sailing spin-off as well. And now Australia. Have you watched below deck at all? I haven't gotten on board with the uh, below deck uh, cult following. And I can see your eyes just almost popped out of your head at at that revelation. So I am uh, mm. I'm no expert on this, but I have really noticed on social media how excited people are for the Australian edition of this show and how many rumours about who's going to be involved, who's going to be on it, how it's going to play out, what it's going to look like on, on Sydney Harbour compared to overseas. So definitely a lot of hype around this show and it feels like one of those ones where when it drops everybody will be watching it. They filmed it on the Whit Sundays, I believe and one of the previous stews from uh, the Mediterranean spin-off uh, Aisha is the chief stew on this one and she's absolutely hilarious and the drama will be uh, the, dr- the drama will be there. Well, maybe uh, the first iteration of uh, Below Deck that I watch can be the Australian one and hopefully it will sort of stand up because so often when we pinch international franchises uh people here love to have a whinge that it's not good enough it's it's not the same it's too australian so again it will be interesting to see how it it translates when you know you've got to be careful what you wish for we always want our own edition of these shows and then sometimes we get them and we whinge that they're they're not entertaining enough or or the production values aren't as good has previously been a criticism of Australian shows but I think in this instance with the backing of Hey You and with the backing of a franchise as strong as Below Deck they'll really want to make sure that it's high production uh, high quality and that they keep those fans across the different spin-offs. All right, up next, our hot take of the week. 
That's entertainment. Hot take. Since uh, announcing that uh, his new album, Donda 2, will only be available on uh, his stem player, Kanye West reckons that he sold more than $2 million worth of these devices, Viv. We call him Yee now, right? He's changed his name. Is that... Uh, I think we can still refer to him as Kanye and people will know who we're talking about, Jake. That sounds like a lot of money, I guess, but it means sales of around 8,000. You'd be hoping that he would be selling more of these and and a lot of backlash from his fans too. I mean, who can't afford 200 pounds or 200 US dollars to buy a device to play his new album? Yeah, it is a lot of money, but when you look at it in the sense that he's claiming he turns down $100 million from Apple, then it's a relatively small amount of money. It does sort of really speak to how much artists want to have control at the moment from beginning to end, including the device, including the platform, including exclusivity in this case. It does become very limiting and non-accessible though if you have to spend hundreds of dollars for the album there are massive fans that will obviously do that but then fans who just aren't equipped with as much cash will not have access to this music and I I think that's a shame to put such an economic barrier in the way I totally understand the desire to take away some of the power of the streaming platforms to control the narrative to control your music to control the release but when you put such an economic barrier in the way in order to do that it does really really limit the impact and uh, the reach that your music can have it's an interesting one i think uh, we've obviously seen a, an artist revolt a revolt rather around major labels and uh, that's spawned a, a very healthy independent sector we're now seeing that around the DSPs, because uh, obviously they now too have a lot of power. Streaming exclusives are an interesting one as well, because if you put something up on Spotify that's not on Apple, that DSP uh, will be very annoyed at you for that. Uh, maybe he's just decided, I'm going to steer clear of DSPs permanently, uh, but maybe he'll put the album on there later and he's just trying to milk the sales of this new player. Yeah, we have seen artists pull their music from Spotify, for example, before for a little while and then build up a lot of hype around whatever platform they might be using as an alternative and then eventually they do want that mass reach, that mass scale once more and they purportedly make nice with Spotify and suddenly uh, they're back. Kanye is going through a particularly uh, unpredictable time at the moment in terms of his uh, decisions, his social media posts and his business dealings. So it could well be that he's, he's back and everything's normal again. For now, though, the other interesting implication is what this does for how Donda 2 is recorded in terms of success metrics. One of the things I'm waiting to hear back about as we speak is whether or not the album will be ARIA certified, given that it's essentially only available on a piece of hardware. Uh, they haven't come back to me with an answer just yet. And either way, I think that has really interesting implications for how the media will talk about the success or the failure of Donda 2. Uh, Donda was released on via Universal, via his own label, via some sort of licensing or distribution deal, I believe. It doesn't look like he's put this album uh, through that uh, through that deal with Universal Music Group globally. Uh, so you'd have to assume that it wouldn't be ARIA accredited, uh, in Australia at least, and how that plays out internationally will be interesting as well. 
Yeah, I mean, he's probably not sitting at home stressing about uh, what his uh, album ranks on the Aria albums chart, uh, but it does <laughs> yeah. it does really start to to change how we me- measure the success of a release of a piece of music if it is also coincides with and is contingent upon the release of a piece of hardware. I think Kanye is sort of enigmatic enough and has a star power enough to justify in a way doing this. Some fans will really get on board and it will probably become a cult-like device that sells for a lot of money on eBay at some point or something like that. Every artist can't do this though. With every release, we will end up with an absurd amount of devices and players and hardware in our homes. And it's a bit like the proliferation of, of streaming platforms and people having subscriptions to too many things. At some point that will have to consolidate because we can't have that many devices for every album we like, for every artist we like, sitting in our home and, and trying to remember how we play Donda 2 and which bloody player we need. <laughs> Speaking of subscriptions, uh, I sat down and wrote a list of the active ones that I have currently. Across everything, so whether that's television, music, uh, news media, etc., and I'm at 17 active subscriptions. I didn't even know there were 17. Isn't that Subscriptions that you could have at any one time, but I do uh, shudder to think what mine might be because sometimes money comes out of my account and I forget that I even have that subscription platform. So. On that basis, I don't want to do the audit because I don't want to know just how dire it is. I think we should just wrap it there. Nailing it, as always, unsure how to end. (laughs) We need a fancier ending, don't we? We should tell everybody to tune in next week when we have exciting news and we'll definitely bring them the podcast on time. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review this episode on your favourite podcast app. If you have a news tip for next week's show, email us tips at thatsentertainment.com.au.